Hello and welcome to the Respiratory Inspirations podcast. I'm Rai Dwake, chairman of the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. This podcast series of short, digestible episodes is intended for patients and families and covers topics related to respiratory health and disease. My colleagues and I will be interviewing experts about timely and timeless topics in the areas of pulmonary, critical illness, sleep, infectious disease, and related disciplines. We will share with you information that will help you take better care of yourself and your loved ones. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Respiratory Inspirations podcast. I am your guest host, Dr. Hassan Kouli, Chair of the Department of Critical Care Medicine in the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. My guest today is Dr. Adi Gerblich. Dr. Gerblich is a physician staff in the Department of Critical Care Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic, and he's the Division Chief of Pulmonary at Hillcrest Hospital. We will be talking about virtual ICU rounding today. Adi, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Let's maybe set the stage for our audience today, and if you can share with us what is the ICU environment is like. The ICU environment is a special place in the hospital where the sickest patients are uh, treated. Most people getting in there will be a little bewildered. You have advanced equipment that is filling the room, high-tech monitors, screens with displays of heart rate, oxygenation, important information about the patient's health condition. You can see specialized medical staff, respiratory therapists, dialysis technicians, specialized nursing dealing with the patient. You can see IV lines, different tubes coming into veins, into the mouth, into the chest cage, all to support the life of patients. You can see monitors with medical records showing all the time the patient condition, the medications, what the what the physician said. You can see areas of restricted access because of sterility issues that we want to keep the patients safe or uh, isolation from the environment. You can find the areas of family waiting areas where families many times wait until they can see the patient or wait until the procedure is done. You can see a lot of emergency equipment, dialysis machine, crash carts, intubation, ventilators, defibrillating machines. So all kinds of devices uh, to maintain life and resuscitate patients. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Gerblich, for sharing this vivid vision of what the ICU environment is like. And for many of us who are, you know, live in that environment, often uh, in day in and day out, we take it for granted for our patients we care for, for our fam- the families of these patients that we care for. Certainly, this could be a big shock and introduction to them. So, Communication will become even very important to really share with them what that environment is like and and what is their loved one is going through as well. So maybe you can share with us some communication modalities, types of uh, communications that we tend to use in the intensive care unit between the ICU team and the family uh, that are caring for that patient. So as I described, the environment is sort of bewildering and chaotic. So it's akin to a war zone. Uh, The war is now 
the patient medical condition and the team, the physicians and everybody around trying to win that war. So communication is done in multiple ways. First of all, we have the in-person communication where the family is at the bedside or in the waiting room and we communicate with them directly about the patient condition. We can make uh, phone calls to the family if they're not available. We have the modality of having video conferencing with families that cannot be at the bedside and would like to have information uh, about the patient. We can do it with the whole team or, or not. We can have a scheduled meeting with family by the request. We can have designated liaison communicating with the family. We have interpretive services to people who don't have fluent English language and have other language, uh, more comfortable with other languages. And we have pamphlets, supportive resources to communicate with family. So multiple modalities. That's certainly true. And for our audience, it's good to have these options, really, to, to know that you're not limited. Either I have to make a phone call or I have to come into the intensive care unit to be able to learn about what's going on with my loved one, how I can participate as a family member in the discussion there, uh, too. Now, in the ICU, we talk about the team and we talk about how this is really a team sport that we all work together. So if you don't mind... Maybe you can share with us, what is it like usually, you know, to round with that team? Who's usually on that team to start off with? So the way that we work in the ICU is that every patient gets daily, at least once a day, a visit by a comprehensive team of caregivers. That team of caregivers includes the intensivist or the physician who is specializing in critical care, There is a practicing nurse, nurse practitioner who is specializing in intensive care unit. There is a bedside nurse in this team. There is a pharmacist whose specialty is critical care, as well as a nutritionist and dietitian, and many times also palliative care services or social services or other consultants like cardiology or nephrology or gastroenterology, whatever the case of the patient where it may be. That team on a daily basis rounds on the patient at least once in the morning, and if necessary, sees them uh, multiple times during the day as the clinical situation necessitates. Excellent. It's a big team. and It's a big team, it. it's complicated especially in an arena like that. But we take our time. It takes several hours to go through all the cases that we have. But we go one by one, sometimes in sequential fashion, uh, sometimes depending on the acuity of the case. We might jump from place to place. But everybody gets the attention that is needed based on the clinical condition. Right. So, Dr. Gerblich, during that ICU environment that you just described, the ICU rounding, you know, that, that you just shared with us with the team. Maybe you can explain to our audience what is, you know, that protocol of video communication with the family or what is the difference between that and, and in-person or other modalities of communication? So sometimes the family cannot be at the bedside. But I think the visual experience, seeing the patients, seeing the whole team members communicate about the loved one 
uh, has a positive effect on uh, the interaction between the family and the team. And that is done with a video conferencing program that we dial in the number of the family POA and they communicate with us via video and they can see the whole team and we discuss the case with the family present. We like the family to be present in all our rounding interactions. Excellent. And this would be a time I, I would say maybe you can share with us the history of this program. How did this come about as a pioneer of this program, as the one who really started us here at the Cleveland Clinic with this well before COVID? Love our audience to hear from you directly. Yeah, it, it started before COVID. There was an effort by the Cleveland Clinic to increase its reach via telecommunication. The idea was to do consultations on an outpatient basis or between hospitals, between consultants. And I sort of felt that the ICU arena uh, should, should be one that we can communicate with families because I was feeling that if families are not involved in the critical evaluation of the patient, I'm missing something. And I would like to have them participate. So that was the impetus to have the video and the family connected together with us uh, in the cases where the family was not able to be at the bedside. And what a great idea. So then, as it turned out, when COVID hit, suddenly we were already on that mode of function, and the video communication was the protocolized way that we do it was already standard in the unit. So when the COVID epidemic happened, it was a great benefit for the families because this time they were not able to come to the bed at all and they were sort of in the dark as to what's happening to the loved ones. So that made a whole difference in the way that they felt about the loved one. They, see, they saw them, they saw the data, they saw the treatment team and they sort of were with us even though not physically. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that history, perspective of the program, too, with our audience. How we can move on to a different set of questions in this segment. Uh, how does the video conference help the treatment team and the family of the patient from your experience here? I think the major advantage is that the dictionary seeing is believing. Uh, if you see same things, you can better relate to them. It's not just hearing, you involve all your senses in the interaction. You get much more insight into non-verbal communication, not just the verbal communication, as to what's happening between the team, the patient, and the family. So, as you know, you can look at somebody and you can tell right by looking at the person, does he look good or he doesn't look good? How do we decide that? We decide it by vision. So the vision uh, is an important aspect of communication, especially in a sick person. So we can say he looks better or he doesn't look better. That's important for the family to see, not just the family, the treatment with team as well. So I think in that sense, the video adds that piece of the communication that is not available otherwise. I agree. Uh and if you think through that, so you talked about some of the advantages of doing this. Are there any disadvantages that you can think about for that video rounding uh, with the family? Technology is just technology. It can fail. Uh, so sometimes the connection is not good. But most of the time, more than 95% of the time, we don't have any problems. 
If there is internet connection, the communication goes excellent, the video quality is good, the voice is good. If there is no internet connection, it's more problematic. You can do it on a 5G or a 4G uh, network, but I would not advise it. It's a little more choppy. Otherwise, there's, you know, like when you dial on a phone and you wait for the phone to answer, the same thing is happening with video. You put the number of the POA or the family. It takes time for the connection to happen, so that takes about a minute. Short of that, I don't see a limitation for the video conference. Thank you. So you mentioned already some of the steps that take place. Maybe you can share with the audience. Let's say I am a family member and I want to you know, learn more about what's going on with a family member that I have in the ICU, and I want to join you during rounds. How does that work uh, in the program that you lead? So the only thing, the only thing I need is for you to have an iPhone or another cell phone that is internet connected and has a video capability or a camera. And uh, once you give me your number, I saw the program that I have, I can connect to your number. On your screen will show up that my name and the Cleveland Clinic and that we are going to have a video conference. You will have to put your name in, that you agree to the terms of the conference, that it's HIPAA protected. And then if you uh, click OK, then we get connected and... You see me on the phone or the desktop. You can do it for the desktop the same way. And then we communicate, sort of like uh, FaceTime on iPhone, basically. Excellent. You know, you make it sound simple, uh, and it is simple. Because it is, of all it the is simple. <laughs> all the work that you and the team have done, really, to, to simplify it and to make it easier to use. User yeah, it was, it was important for us to make it as simple as possible for the recipient, for the family. Because, I mean, the family doesn't want to download the software and so forth. So that was, uh, in the beginning, uh, we had difficulty with that. But then we found a company that was able to have a software that is available uh, on the Internet that uh, they just hook up and are immediately connected. So that works very well. Nice breakthrough there. How do you ensure that all family members who want to participate can be involved simultaneously? Yeah. So in the video uh, in the video mode, I don't have a limitation. I can add many people from many locations together. They all see each other on the screen. So one can be in Cleveland, one can be in Florida, the other can be in Europe. Uh, it doesn't make any difference as far as the video is concerned. And we have done that many times, and I'm not limiting who should participate. I leave it to the family to decide. They best know the family structures and who is important for the loved one that cannot participate in the conversation at that time. Uh, most of the time we do it in patients who cannot communicate. So they decide uh, who is participating. I leave it to the family. I, I always want the POA to be there, obviously. If there is no POA then whatever the legal structure is. If they're just kids, then the majority of the kids have to be. So if there are three kids, at least two have to be there. Many times all three of them are there on the, on the conference and so forth. So sometimes if there's no POA, we have to assign a POA. We have done that as well. Sometimes there's only next of kin. You know, We have seen that too. So it uh, depends on the situation. And for our uh, audience here, the POA is the power of attorney, yeah, which is the power what we, of the health, health care. 
or right thank the you one, the, the one is able to make medical decisions because the patient cannot at that time you know being involved as a family member in that discussion how do you feel that that will impact or has impacted the decision making process you know medicine is complex it's changing all the time it's complicated and the concepts are a bit complicated physiology is difficult to explain so the more explanation you have the more interaction you have the more you show the more you visualize the ct scan or the biopsy or the x-ray or the patient himself and how is he doing the better can the family understand the gravity of the situation and the medical condition and help them make the best decision for the patient your job is to guide them to tell them what's the best mode that you think from a medical standpoint but the final decision is always of the family because they represent the wishes of the patient that's true and uh, if you know we talk about how important communications delivering informations in a different ways to families uh, of of a loved one in that complex environment that uh, you shared with us so what strategies what what are the ways that you use to make that communication a compassionate caring and a uh, useful one for for them yeah several strategies uh, first of all the first strategy is to listen listening is extremely important you have to listen to the scope of the unload the fear the difficulties that they have you listen to what happened to the patient the last couple of days how he was behaving what happened to the condition that brought him along did he take his medication did he not take his medication did the legs swell up did the, how was the breathing and so forth so listening alleviates some of the concern gives the family a feeling of participation that are providing important information to the team that are helping the team understand the medical condition which is the case the second strategy is you want to be totally honest with the family you want to be totally unbiased with the family you want to present the pros and cons in a simplified way so they can see that you are thinking about all the conditions that are evolving here and uh you want to show them that you aim is really to get the patient in better condition and that's your ultimate game and that's your ultimate aim and once they have that sense that that's really your aim they feel comfortable about it they give you the confidence and they follow your guidance that's that's very uh, very much true and i um, you know appreciate you sharing you know for our audience over here how important it is for us to listen to family and and for them really to have the the courage and and the comfort of speaking up and and sharing uh, uh, with us the care team the patient's wishes how they live their lives what are their values i find it you know during when i'm rounding and i'm communicating with families to kind of really guide us this is uh, there is a lot of art and there's a lot of compassion in what we do in that environment yeah i i think basically your function is to translate to be like a dictionary to translate the medical condition from what you know from what you see from the labs from the x-ray from the ct scan 
to a sentence or a structure or a piece of information that they can digest and understand. So this is taking the complex information that you know that you learned all your life, that you're up to date with, and transforming it in a simplified way to the family. So that's, that's the communication function that you have. You know, with the modality that you're describing here, the virtual video, you're allowing several family members to be together, sometimes when it's important for yeah, several people yeah, to give their perspectives yeah, uh, yeah. and to be in real time, joining the ICU care team and sharing these perspectives about the values, about how they, uh, the patient live their life and what she or he uh, want uh, or don't want. Yeah, because we, we don't know the personality of the patient most of the time. You know, they come to us uh, most of the time, they're unresponsive. So we don't know him as a person. We have to have the family to guide us. Uh, what are their wishes? What do they want from life? What do they like? How would they have behaved in this condition and so forth? So uh, sharing and communicating, you can see there are different family members with different experience, different backgrounds, which come to light. Some have medical knowledge, some don't have medical knowledge, some have legal knowledge. So, so you have to sort of gauge the information based on the family structure and the information that they have. So with that process you described and how technology is, is part of it too and how communication is, is important, what kind of resources and training resources available to the ICU staff to ensure that this communication is uh, with the family are taking place and taking place uh, in, in the right way. Yeah, so we have an ongoing program where we uh, update the team all the time about the way we, in a protocolized way, present the case. Because the discussion has to be a structured discussion. In other words, you have to know what the information is and present it in a se sequential, logical way that we can make a decision, a medical decision, about the, the condition. So you cannot talk about the x-ray before you presented the, the clinical condition and the events. You cannot talk about the x-ray before you tell me what is the amount of oxygen that the patient has, how is he breathing, what was his night, did he have a bowel movement, did he eat, is he hungry, is he not hungry, and so forth. So everything has an order in that presentation. And that, that way of presentation is uh, protocolized and very effective for the team to have all the information in an organized and a succinct manner so a decision can be made and a plan can be devised from it. From your vast experience, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit over here. What is your preferred mode of communication? Uh, I think best is in person. Short of in-person uh, video conference, statistically, when we score the, with different questions, uh, the families, it uh, stacks very close. I mean, very difficult statistically to show the difference between the two. I think the least effective is just a phone conversation rather than video or in-person. So in, in my experience, phone conversation should be done only as follow-up uh, visit, but not as the main way of communicating with families. Yeah, and I, you know, maybe I'm going to add a little bit of uh, my perspective over here is what the video 
communication offers the families are that convenience of, you know, today I cannot really come to the ICU as I have done it in the past seven days or so. It is a good, good, effective option to do that and then being able to bring other family members who may be living somewhere else that this is, you know, not not, not possible to do when, you know, with the in-person way to communicate. So, sure. so what you have described to us is, is a very valuable and unique advantage over maybe some of the other effective modalities like being in person when you want family members to be around and make a critical decision. You know, it could be one of, uh, sometimes it's about life and death. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, too. So thank you for pioneering this and uh, for being really a, uh, you know, a trailblazer uh, in, in this area well before COVID when people start <laughs> thinking about saying, well, it's of necessity, you know, we have to do this, uh, Adi. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Gerblick, and thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast today. I am your guest host, Dr. Hassan Kouli, Chair of the Department of Critical Care Medicine in the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. My guest today was Dr. Adi Gerblick. Dr. Gerblick is a staff physician in the Department of Critical Care Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic, and he's the uh, Division Chief for Pulmonary Medicine at Cleveland Clinic Hillcrest Hospital. Thank you for joining us today, and we conclude our uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Respiratory Inspirations podcast. For more stories and information from the Cleveland Clinic Respiratory Institute, you can follow me on Twitter at tridwakemd.